Hi, my name is Scott Schaefer. Uh, this is my second time presenting at three great meetings. Um, it's not that I really like talking to large groups, I just I really love this conversation. So uh, what I'm presenting today is an architecture which is sort of in the proof of concept and design phase for artificial life development. Um, it's an out outgrowth of some earlier work that I've done. And I'm presenting it hopefully hopefully to get some feedback and that the ideas that I put out might crossbreed and evolve in, in your minds. And if it goes extinct, I'm okay with that too. <clears throat> um, so this is a little biographical sketch of what I've been doing for the past 16 years, which is uh, working as the lead architect, designer, and programmer of a system that allows users, many with special needs, severe physical disabilities, cognitive impairments, uh, visual impairments, and some you know, regular able-bodied kids to, uh, to use, well, it's a multi-platform system and allows them to use the computer as a creativity tool to access curriculum and so on. So many different ways of inputs to get to the same kind of thing on a variety of platforms. And I've also had an interest in artificial life, uh, just on my own, not really realizing that there was this great community out here, um, just kind of coming up to speed on the history. But um, my two projects, which I, I demonstrated earlier, are mac micro, I'm sorry, macro pond one and two, um, in which basically the critters are, are worm-like. Uh, they have a series of instructions that guides their behavior, and they compete for food. In micro pond two, the critters can prey upon each other. In fact, there is no external food. There's just critters. And they can photosynthesize, and the photosynthesizing makes them vulnerable to being eaten. And, uh, and then I've also been working on a, a, a stock training program with evolving rules that hopefully will make me hundreds of dollars. <laughs> hopefully it'll be a better trader than me, which won't be hard. So, uh, so that life. So the the origin of that life is. Uh, along the way, when I was developing uh, Micropond 2, um, I thought to maybe make it a useful tool as opposed to just a fun thing where you watch worms crawl around and eat each other. And I thought, wouldn't it be great to make this a sort of test bed for evolvable virtual machines? And um, at some point, I kind of realized that maybe not, it, that the environment of Micropond 2 might not be the best place for that because it seemed like there were simple solutions that didn't really require that much intelligence. Um, and so you might develop the perfect evolvable virtual machine that can solve all kinds of problems. You put it in there and it really doesn't have much to do. Um, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure that's true. Maybe given enough time, behaviors would emerge. Um, so the second thought that's kind of rattling in my brain is there's a theory that a single-celled life first evolved on Mars, it got knocked off into space, came here on a chunk of ice, and it flourished on Earth. So uh, the analogy there is the initial Martian environment that wasn't really sustainable for these organisms. Eventually, they would have gone extinct there, but they got transported to another environment where they flourished. So it got me thinking, well, wouldn't it be great if we had many different environments and the creatures could migrate between them? And if this sounds a lot like the Evo grid, it, it definitely was inspired by hearing about the Evo grid. And in some ways, what I'm presenting is just sort of a nuts and bolts approach to how you might, how you might accomplish 
some goals of the Evo grid. And um, Tom Barbelay mentioned this idea of islands on the Evo grid, where you might have different environments that were similar. And so, so I'm thinking, yeah, this might be a design for a number of islands, similar environments, or kind of disparate environments. So basically what I wanted to do, um, again, I was thinking MicroPond is potentially a test bed for evolvable uh, virtual machines, but maybe it's not the best environment. Maybe I want to create virtual machines that can go in a number of different environments. And um, a number of, and have an environment that could host many different types of virtual machines. So basically we need an abstraction layer between the virtual machine and the environment. So that way you can, you know, plug and play. And an example, uh, actually inspired by Al, who mentioned at the end of our first meeting that, well, perhaps all reality is virtual. And that reminded me of this brain in the bat idea, which is kind of an ancient idea, goes back way before computers, but uh, it applies well, and it was made really popular by the Matrix. Um, but basically the idea is you, you got the brain, the controller, and it doesn't really directly interact with its environment. Uh, the environment is simulated. Uh, you might have some lines, and that basically uh, the, the philosophical idea is, well, what if reality is an illusion? What if you know everything that we perceive is generated originally the idea was by some demon who's entrancing us. But um, this is kind of a nice metaphor in two ways. One is the brain doesn't really directly in interact with its environment. It uses a set of signals, inputs and outputs, so you can connect it to any type of simulation. But also the simulation doesn't really have to know about the brain. So you could have different, <coughs> different types of brains. So this, this is an image that I swiped from Wikipedia. And in this example, three lines are enough to simulate all of reality, which I think is a little simplistic. But just to keep the illustration here, um, so we might have basically each line being an input and an output, and the brain can send a signal to control the simulated legs. It might receive a signal that uh, informs the brain that, okay, there's warmth on the leg. So in this, in this simulation, the brain is thinking, I'm walking outside in the sun. So, all right, so normally this is kind of a sinister proposition, but being that we're kind of mad scientists here, let's just get our hands wet. Um, so the simulation, it's maintaining uh, the state of objects that this virtual body is interacting with, for example, the sun. Uh, it's maintaining information about the, the physical body attached to the brain, um, which you could call the, the phenotype of this organism. Um, incorporating the brain's outputs into the simulation, generating new inputs, and uh, it's also going to be simulating the aging, reproduction, death of the body, because none of that really exists. And of course, we're not talking about an actual brain here, it's just kind of a metaphor. Um, so we can look at multiple brains, they can interact with each other. So each of these brains has a virtual body. Each of the virtual bodies may see the other virtual bodies in the simulation, um, which is much like Second Life, actually. <coughs> um, so the brains can be, as I, as I mentioned, they can be polymorphous. The, the, the simulation just knows about inputs and outputs. It doesn't really need to know what's on the other end. So you've got two black boxes talking to each other through kind of well-defined inputs and outputs. 
So, um, and as I said, the simulations can be polymorphous too. So you take the same brain, connect the wires to another simulation. Now you're not a human being walking in the sun. You're swimming in the ocean and you're enormous, eating krill. Okay, and because there's this very well-defined interface between the simulated organisms and their environments, and it's very generic, you can easily migrate these different bat lives between one, one simulation and the other. And, uh, okay, so in the, in the, the topmost simulation is basically your 3D physics kind of simulation. You're operating a simulated body walking outside. The, the bottom one would be, um, well, it's a simulation I, I hope to write, which is very simplistic. The, the idea is that the artificial life organisms um, are asked to predict the next number in the sequence, and they're rewarded on how well they do that. So very simple, but potentially just enormously powerful. And uh, the idea is that, you know, perhaps, I'm not sure how well this would work in theory. I'm sorry, in practice. But theoretically, you could have one type of evolvable controller that might do well in either environment. So some benefits of this approach. So um, I was in communication with a guy in the Netherlands who he, uh, he wants to train computers to, to speak in some way. Or he wants uh, the fitness function to be how well they can read text aloud, which is fairly ambitious. Um, but he's been kind of looking for different types of evolvable controllers. He was looking at neural nets, the nuance engine, and so on. And uh, it just really struck me, well, you know, why should he have to worry about that? I mean, the, his, his real task there is building the simulation, building the fitness function. That's the big challenge. And um, so he could just develop the environment, not worry about the controller. Or conversely, say your goal is to create you know, this uh, evolvable virtual machine that's capable of developing intelligence. Well, you know, you create it, you can put it in many different environments, maybe it's going to find an environment which it does really well in. And uh, on that second note, you can have a single environment and you can have many different types of evolvable machines, neural nets, nuance engine, you know, what have you, and you can have them compete. And uh, I'm going to show a simple proof of concept Showing that. So yeah. <clears throat> so so the I/O pins are that's the interface between the, uh, the the artificial life forms and the environment. And the model I'm using for that is the nervous system. So you've got you know, kind of a spinal cord and it branches out, and you can write to it, you can read from it. So it's branching. Um, so that's the basic idea is that you've got a central pin, which can have child pins, you can talk to them, you can, uh, they can talk back. Um, they need to be, okay, but skipping to the bottom, uh, you need to be able to attach uh, code to changes in the inputs. So, you know, we have neurons that fire when the light goes on, you know, when they detect a change in the condition. That sends off a series of events. So we need to be able to do that uh, with our code. So, and in, in hardware, we often have you know, interrupt processors, so it's, it's a good design pattern. So, all right. So within this architecture, um, there's basically three kind of unique entities. There's the environment, 
and there's the base environment, which has you know, some base functionality. I'm going to get into programmer ease in a bit, so I apologize to the non-programmers in, in the audience. <clears throat> but um, you've got, yeah, so your the base environment, you get it from that life. You, you can extend it. You can add your, your own rules of physics, your own fitness function. And I tried to design this to accommodate as many different types of environments as possible. And I don't know if that really is possible. I think there, there are some types, like cellular automata, I don't think are really going to work in this system. But, um, but I'd like it to be able to support the 3D physics simulations, the, uh, predict the next number in the sequence, um, also uh, just a wide range. And what I, what I would like to hear from people, particularly the programmers, to whom this sounds like an interesting you know, framework from which to base your project, um, what, what would be useful to you, or, or what limitations do you see in this? Um, but in, in any case, so the environment, you provide the fitness function, you provide the inputs and outputs for each A-life. So, so A-life number 200 wants to uh, write something to a particular I.O. pin, you have to figure out how to handle that. And so and you, the environment needs to generate the initial phenotype, the form of each creature, of each critter, creature from its genotype. So the idea is uh, basically a, a new artificial life form comes into the environment. It has a genotype, which is basically just a long string, has separators to indicate gene sequences and so on. But the phenotype is, it, I'm sorry, the environment is responsible for taking that genotype and creating an initial form. And uh, then we have the controller, which uh, generates a mind, essentially a, a series of instructions or a neural net or how, however, what, whatever type of data it needs to provide a, a critter to know how to process its inputs and outputs. Um, and then the controller is responsible for processing the mind against the environment. So, and then the artificial life form really doesn't contain very much. Um, it has data, including its genotype, um, its phenotype, which both of which are a black box. You know, the, the, each artificial life form is only going to interact with its environment through the controller, which is going to make requests in the environment. And uh, each artificial life form will have a reference to the appropriate controller. So. <coughs> So the idea there is that you might have one artificial life form that uses, say, the nuance engine. It's um, maybe you aren't familiar with that. It's uh, basically you know someone has, has created a, a nice virtual machine that has a, a nice instruction set. It's designed to mutate well, so you can make random changes to it, and it's not going to break, and it's going to do some interesting things. It's the um, it, it's designed to evolve. So, you know, you have your particular environment full of your artificial life forms using one set of controllers. One comes in from somewhere else off the internet. It may bring its own controller with it. So that's that's the reference. So in in, in our normal growth, biological growth or, or plant growth, let's take plant growth. You, you start with a seed, it sprouts, two leaves, and so on. So it, it doesn't arrive with its its own phenotype. It has to direct its own development, and that's contained in the code. 
Um, so quest, the problem here that I was faced with was something like Darwin bots, um, in which you have creatures that have all of you, any of you seen Darwin bots? Um, it's similar to Carlson's creatures. Basically, the idea is you got these 3D entities, and they may look like you know snakes or gorillas and whatnot. And they just they evolve over time, and they have emotion, and their fitness function is how well they they are at moving across a, a plane. So, what these creatures are about um, is primarily about their phenotype, their form, and and their motion, how well they interact, and uh, so. Within this bat life, you know, the, the, it's a little tricky because if you bring in a bat life creature and it has a genotype, you, the environment can sort of create that creature according to its genotype. The environment, the um, Darwin bots environment, knows how to produce a, a gorilla kind of thing. But that's really not going to translate so well to another environment. Yes? One step back yeah. with the warm type. Yeah. Um, Evolving to respond to the media environment. One of the, the most logical applications are like sending commands, moving around and see how it reacts to whatever environment and uh, either communicate back or literally build those genes or items that allow you to evolve on the spot and move mm -hmm. on. And motion is not necessary first consideration for mm -hmm. your chemistry say to that, you'd need to have a really good simulation to make that happen, particularly if you wanted to artificially evolve creatures which could self-replicate in the real world. And, um, you know, I think that's, it's just, it's a great goal, and I'd love for this to be a flexible enough platform to support that. Um, my, my primary interest is in evolutionary computation. So, for me, you know, the fact that it exists in the real world or not, that's, it's, it's not necessarily the, the key for me. I, I think that there are a lot of great problems that just can be solved without any anything in the real world actually ever having to exist. And use a lot less material, too. You're just simulating these things and you just throw them out. And there's no waste. Yeah? How do you keep consistency in such a So you have your you know, um, my my thought. Is, yeah, my thought is that um, that really a creature doesn't actually move from one to another, but that it's it's genetic information that, and its controller can enter another environment. I mean, you could have literally the same creature. You could you could try to have the same creature. You create move. You, a new creature based on your characteristics yeah. on another item. Right. And how do you control the 
spamming or getting some pages that can destroy all your... Ah, okay. Well, I think this is actually um, a key difference from that life and the Evo grid as I understand it, which I don't claim to. But my understanding is that with the Evo grid, um, at least there was some discussion of having one creature from another environment say, tell another creature in another environment, I've eaten you. And then that, you know, the other environment would be expected to kill off that creature. And so what I'm proposing basically is an environment is a level playing field. Yeah, that doesn't happen. When you when a creature goes into from environment A to environment B, it has to conform with all the same rules of environment B that all the all the creatures living there do. Does that make does that answer your question? Oh well, if my environment says okay, we have food, you can eat the food, mm -hmm. and food controls how much you can populate or survive. And I'm getting new creatures that Mm -hmm. Well, I would, I mean, I would just consider that to be like an invasive species coming to California and, and doing really well here. And while that's really bad from an environmental perspective, from an evolutionary perspective, it's not bad, you know, in a sense. Uh, can you roll back? Um, it's really not that uh, well developed. Like I said, we're, we're still in the proof of concept stage, and um, I'm, I'm pretty close to to showing off an early demonstration. When you say the rules are different among environments, mm -hmm. I, I have to question how different are they? Is it like one environment might be 70 degrees and one environment might be 71 degrees? Or is it like Earth and Mars, oxygen here, vacuum there? Mm -hmm. Because if it's oxygen here, vacuum there, like, you won't be able to have any, any migration at all. Mm -hmm. Because as soon as as soon as an organism goes from one environment to the other, it just die. Right, and that's yeah, it's a real possibility, and um, and I mean I, I used Mars before as kind of a metaphor because I'm I'm not really thinking at least at this stage of a real physical simulation, but um, but I think I think you're right, and one answer to that might be you might have a um, hundred different environments, and there might be you know they. they the two extremes might be very different from each other, but there might be environments in between where you might be able to have some migration. And then the whole thing might not work at all. You might be right. But you don't know. So uh, I've been developing in Java. I've been kind of a, a C++ guy. And actually, this is my, my first Java program ever. So you know, I take <laughs> bear that in mind. But um, but you know when you're doing C++, you got to figure out okay what what kind of framework am I going to use and what platforms is it going to support and what kind of tools are people going to use and uh, and really one goal here is to be able to have um, controllers have unique IDs so you got a artificial life form and it uses controller 2037 and so this artificial life comes to your process your Java virtual machine. And it pulls down that controller from the internet somewhere. And I think you can do that in Java. Uh, yeah, yeah. good. Okay. <laughs> and then just from what I've read, it, it, I've, I've read comparisons of Java and C++, and they, they look pretty comparable. So in, just in terms of speed, what I've seen may be arguable. So my goal for this, this meeting 
was to be able to have two different environments and two different controllers, and to have you know each environment be able to support artificial life forms using either controller. And uh, so these two different types of environments and the two different controllers are very similar, but and this is just an extremely extremely simple simulation. Um, basically, what I have in each simulation, I have oscillators, and so. Um, I'll just bring up the second environment for comparison. So basically an oscillator goes between uh, one number and another, back and forth. So it might go between 0.5 and 1 with a certain step. It hits one extreme, it comes back to the other side. And, um, and so each of these artificial light forms, their fitness function is how well they can, they can line up with that oscillator. So the closer they are to lining up with it, the more energy they get, and the more they're favored, and the more they get to reproduce. And um, and so what we have here at the at the very top are the oscillators. the The one on the left is the average of all the oscillators in the environment. So um, so on the left hand, there's only one oscillator; it just goes one goes back and forth, and the critters within it have to try to predict where it's going to go. Um, the second one's a little trickier in that you got two different inputs and you're really measured by the average. And, um, and each of these inputs becomes the, um, the input pins. So each critter gets to read input pins, it gets to write input pins, and it gets rewarded how well it does. And uh, the colors here indicate the controller type. And then there's a little code here which is basically um, Okay, so basically there's a, a randomly generated genotype, and, um, and the lowercase x's indicate gene sequences for eventual breeding. Right now, the only, uh, right now there's some occasional mutation that happens, but eventually they'll be, they'll be breeding. And then the controller is responsible for taking that string, turning it into code. And, um, and then what these are, are uh, the top organisms. So okay, so initially it just starts out with uh, with random critters, and they actually very quickly get to the point where they're they're doing a pretty good job at um, anticipating the oscillators. And this is kind of interesting. Uh, before we saw all blue, meaning all controller number two, you know, with its particular instruction set. Um, for whatever reason, the, the controller number one has dominated here. So controllers are interpreters? Basically, controllers are, are virtual machines. Yeah, so basically what's happening is every so often, it, um, it looks to see at how all the critters have done, it kills off the, the bottom 90%, and then takes the top top 10%, and produces 90% more, more creatures, which may have mutated instruction sets. Um, but that that's just sort of a base uh, kind of behavior that the environment could extend, and it could create a more kind of realistic um, way of reproduction. That's pretty much it.